0: The author of Hebrews is writing, just, we just keep this in mind before us as we're working through Hebrews. He's, he's writing to followers of Jesus who are tempted uh, to bail out on Jesus because of persecution that is heating up. And so he, he tells them uh, to endure. And we see this, uh, saw this back in chapter 10, verse 36. You have need of Endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And endurance, kind of the how of endurance is faith. Uh, so the writer goes on, chapter 10, verse 38, my righteous one will live by faith. Well, this is Moses' story. He's doing 1036, uh, 36, 10:38 uh, uh, We see this in chapter 11, verse 27. By faith, uh, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the king, for he endured seeing him who's invisible. In other words, Moses moved forward in faith, not by seeing clearly the way to go, but enduring by keeping his eye on him, on God, the invisible one, who is the way to go. And this is not, was not easy for Moses. And we, I, this is what I want to unpack this morning. There are two huge giants uh, that were threatening Moses and tempting him. One was the giant of fear, and the other was the giant of pleasure. Consider faith in the giant of fear, specifically the fear of man. This was a menacing and very visible foe in Moses' way because uh, Pharaoh and his army are, are right there. Uh, fear is actually mentioned two times in this passage. And the first is with Moses' parents. Uh, by faith, Moses, verse 23 By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. They were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, if you remember from the opening chapters of Exodus, the Israelites had been in Egypt for almost 400 years. They had grown to be a large community. Uh, Pharaoh was threatened by them and decided to depopulate the Jewish uh, community. And first, he ordered the midwives to kill all the newborn Hebrew male children. When, when that plan failed, uh, Pharaoh then ordered all male Hebrew newborns to be thrown into the Nile. Or they would be eaten by crocodiles. Well, there must have been huge consequences to pay for not complying with Pharaoh's edict. But Moses' parents did not fear the king's edict. Instead, they hid their child. Okay, wait a minute, time out here. <laughs> if they did not fear, then why did they hide him? Because they were not stupid. They risked the harm, harm to themselves if they were found out. Hiding was the only way to do this. And they hid him because there was something special about this child. He was, he, our text tells us he was beautiful. Now, don't read that as you know, somehow Moses registered cuter on the scale of baby cuteness. You know, well, my baby's more beautiful than yours, so yours is in the Nile, mine's not. You know, that's not what's going on here. It's that they, there was something special about this child, some quality, and I believe it was some spiritual sense of, of a destiny for this child. And so in fear, they did not fear man. They feared the Lord. They saw him who's invisible, and they stepped around this giant of fear, fear of man, by keeping their eyes on the Lord. And the same with Moses. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king. Now Moses, you remember, left Egypt twice. Uh, The first time was after he killed an Egyptian. Uh, Pharaoh found out about it, sought to kill Moses, and Moses afraid for his life, ran. The life of faith, you know, is not a straight line. (laughs) We're going to look at this next week. um, Just how flawed these heroes of the faith really were. Uh, And Moses, I mean, the the, the line of faith is not a straight line, it's a zigzag, and Moses is so flawed. He had an anger problem. He had a pride problem. I mean, he saw himself early on as the Savior. I mean, he went out to rescue his people because the, the object of his faith was himself. And when it all blew up in his face, he ran in terror. But the second time he left Egypt the object of his faith had shifted from self to God. And although Pharaoh and his army were a giant fearsome force Moses feared God more than he feared man. You know, fear is a huge menacing giant in, in all our lives. There is no doubt in my mind that there is some fear that is stalking you. Right now, perhaps it's fear of the anger of others or fear of disappointing others, the fear of being insignificant, the fear of failure, the the fear of loss, the fear of being left out. Maybe it's the fear of the unknown before you. And here's what helps us to combat our fear it's really fear of God, it's seeing Him who's invisible. That is, loving, cherishing, this one who shows himself to us and has shown himself to us in a more, far more magnificent way even than to Moses. I mean, Moses had all the miracles. Yeah, but we've got Jesus. And these early Christians that the author of Hebrews is writing to, they are also wrestling with fear because Rome, the most powerful government on earth, you know, calling Jesus Lord means Caesar is not. And that has ramifications. But they too feared God more, seeing and responding to him who is invisible. But Moses had another menacing giant to endure, as to stand his ground against, and that was the giant of pleasure. When Moses could no longer be kept hidden as a baby, his parents launched him out into an ark like uh, little craft onto the Nile, and he was found by Pharaoh's daughter and adopted. So Moses grew up with amazing privileges. He had an official title, son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was a prince in Egypt with access to the best education, math, science, literature, economics, military training. He had money without limit. He had authority over others and for the taking he had the best of what was offered of food, drink, and sex. Position power, wealth, and pleasure. Moses had it all. You know, the good life that that all the advertisers combined tell us we should have, we deserve, Moses had it. But he refused his title. He rejected it and all that it afforded him. Instead, he chose mistreatment with God's people rather than the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 26 says, he considered the reproach of Christ Greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. You know, this word, first of all, considered, it's an accounting word. Um, in other words, Moses used his brain. He did some figuring. And this was not done in a vacuum. Moses, he wasn't, he wasn't ignorant. He wasn't naive. He was a man just like you and me with all the temptations and the desires that pull on our flesh. And so they pulled on Moses. He didn't wake up one morning and say, Egypt stinks. Money's worthless. Power's dumb. Sex is boring. Fame is overrated. No, Egypt was awesome. <laughs> Money was power and alluring. Sex was enticing. And fame was sweet, just as it still is in our day. The pull of pleasure is a powerful magnet on the flesh and soul. And it was to Moses. But he did some considering. He did the figuring and he drew the conclusion that all that Egypt offered was fleeting, fleeting pleasures of sin. You know, pleasures for a brief time. In a way, uh, pleasures of Egypt were like Chinese food. Yeah, you know, when you're hungry two hours later. <laughs> it did not satisfy. Hun- Moses was hungry for more And it was his desire for a a greater pleasure that enabled him to say no to a lesser pleasure. You know, he must have had some sense of what David wrote years later, uh, Psalm 1611, which is our call to worship. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Moses must have had some sense as Abraham did and as Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. You know, Joseph who said, don't leave my bones here in Egypt. Get me out of here into the promised land. He had a vision of the Exodus to come. And Moses did as well. This reward of, uh, to come of a better country, even a heavenly one, a city whose designer and builder is God. Moses had some inkling of that. And so Moses endured he became a durable person, standing his ground against this giant of pleasure that was pulling uh, on every fabric of the desires of his flesh. You know, when, it, when it comes to endurance and uh, being a durable person, you know, endurance just is like, you just plant your feet. That's what this is. And you, and you, you become a durable person in the face of whatever is coming at you. Um, Well, to be a durable person, Tim Keller says that we're only as durable as the thing we love most. We're only as durable as the thing we love most. And so if what we love most is of finite value, um, we're always going to be threatened. We're always going to be anxious because that thing we love is subject to change, decay, and corruption. No matter what it is, health, productivity, being an attractive person, our political party, um, those things can and will be shaken, which means if our durability is tied up to them, we will be shaken. If I have to have someone to love me, to approve of me, that's what I'm counting on. For my being a durable, together, uh, able to stand person, then I'm busted. When that person grows frail and weak and fails, and guess what? They all do because we all do. But the durability of Christianity is not in us, it is not in the things of this world. The object of our faith and our durability is God Himself. The thing we love most, God is the most eternally durable one in the universe. God will never wear out. He will never grow fail. He will never grow weak. He will never fail. Well, Moses calculated all this. He thought deeply about it. Fleeting pleasures of sin versus the weight of the glory of the goodness, pleasure, and reward of God. No comparison. But here's the thing. It cost him. We live in a world of alluring power and pleasure, uh, and to turn our back on power, control, recognition, pleasure—if we turn our back on that—we're going to be viewed as weird and backward, uh, you know, at best, (laughs) and maybe even dangerous at worst, because we won't go along. You see, with the structures of power, control, recognition, and pleasure. We won't go with the crowd. And and so we're going to get canceled, Christian. It happens in relationships with friends. It happens sometimes in employment. It happens in communities and even in a nation. It sure did with Moses because to reject the treasures of Egypt cost him everything. And the only other option was mistreatment with his people. But he considered the reproach of Christ. And that just, that just boggles my mind. I mean, what did he sense of Christ way back then? He, he must have had some kind of sense of a, of, of a coming Messiah who would suffer, who would turn his back on, on the world, the, uh, the power and the pleasures of the world in order to save God's people. I mean, probably it was a, you know, 25 watt bulb. It wasn't much, but he had something there. He saw by faith and he got in line with this suffering Savior. And consider that the suffering that he had to endure in order to gain the reward of God, that suffering was an even greater treasure. Suffering was a greater treasure than all the treasures of Egypt that could have been thrown at his feet. Wow. How in the world did he get to that place? Well, it was not by clarity. It was not by seeing everything lined out in front of him. It was by faith. Specifically seeing him who is invisible. What does that mean? I mean, this is is what it's about here. What does it mean to see him who's invisible? You know, at one level, that makes no sense, does it? How can you see something that's invisible? But remember, faith does not come by what the eyes see. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And so we see with what? We see with our ears, And Moses locked in on God and his word and the promises of God. That God had promised Moses at the burning bush that he would deliver Israel from slavery and bring them into a promised land. And of course Moses, you remember, he hemmed and hawed, he stumbled and he resisted when he realized that God wanted him to run point on this rescue mission. But he heard, he believed God. We know that because he returned to the land of Egypt he went back. And he went back with the Lord. That's the point. We read uh, in verse 28 that by faith Moses kept the Passover. And uh, we just, we just got to point out the timing of all this, okay? Um, Moses didn't keep something that was already in observance, okay? He initiated the Passover Slaughtering a lamb, putting its blood on the doorposts, and getting inside the house so that the destroyer wouldn't kill the firstborn of Israel. Moses not only believed that for that night, but even before it happened, Moses made the Passover into a memorial feast for Israel to remember throughout the generations to come. A statute forever. See, Moses was so sure of God himself. God does what he says. Moses believed. That is seeing the one who's invisible. He took steps in light of that to then put into action everything that flows. The Passover and and et cetera. Well, and the et cetera is Israel leaves Egypt and uh, they find themselves trapped in the wilderness. Behind them is Pharaoh and his army. In front of them, the Red Sea. And uh, at that point, Exodus 14 describes uh, how Israel just complained. Didn't we say to you in Egypt... It's amazing how soon the grumbling and complaining began. Didn't we say to you, in Egypt, leave us alone? It would have been better to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses replied, fear not, stand firm. In other words, endure and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. And then the Lord turned to Moses and he said, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And Moses sees him who is invisible by hearing the word of the Lord and trusting that he is faithful. He believes. And so what does he do? He steps up. He holds up his staff. He stretches out his hands and the waters divide. In verse 29, by faith the people cross the Red Sea as on dry land. The object of our faith is not faith in Faith. It's not us stirring up something in ourselves. It is faith in God. And it is a God with promises. Moses saw this one. And here's the thing. We see even more clearly. Because we see what God has done to save us in Jesus Christ. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ... Oh, we have such a clear vision of who God is and what he has done and what has he promised us now. Jesus has promised to fulfill every single promise that God has ever made. And who is there that's going to stop him? He's come up out of the grave with an indestructible life. There is no one who's going to stop Jesus. And this is the one our eyes are locked in on. He is the object of our faith. In September 1, 1939, Hitler invaded Poland. 2 days later, Germany and France, or excuse me, Britain and France declared war on Germany. And so the dark clouds and winds of war descended on the world. December of that year, King George VI of England ended his Christmas speech with uh, these lines from a poem by Minnie Haskell. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. Go into that darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. What darkness is before you right now with all its fears? All its threats. All its unknowns. we, We want light. We want clarity. We want to see the rain stop, the clouds part, blue skies to open, and all the obstacles to be identified. But instead, we have something better. We have him, the invisible one, Jesus Christ, who promises his presence and that there is fullness of joy in his presence forevermore. Put your hand in his. He will be to you better than light better than any earthly clarity, better and safer, uh, safer way through whatever you are facing. For the promise of our God, who is not dead but is alive, is this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. What a Savior we have. See the invisible one, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.